Welcome back to the Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. Look, this probably isn't your first episode, but if it is, what we do in every episode here is we get a brief review of what's going on in the episode, followed by a three-word episode review. We analyze what happened on the pitch, off the pitch, and talk about the main theme of the episode. We also get into a little bit of pub trivia to keep you on your toes. And finally, a winner, winner, football dinner is awarded. Easy enough, right? Well, today, we're going to cover Season 3, Episode 3, 451, and frankly, we're all still catching our breath from the amount of action in this one. 47-minute episode felt like double, my word. Yeah, and if you want to double your contribution to the show, um, there are a couple ways you can do that. One, follow and engage on social, at Pod Underdogs, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those sorts of things. That would be awesome, and we've seen continually uh, that our engagement's grown. And if you wouldn't mind uh, throwing us a five-star review in either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, maybe drop us a nice note as to uh, as to what you like, what you don't like, all that sort of stuff. That would be amazing. It just helps us grow. It helps more people see our stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the episodes for season three are doing great so far. So let's keep up the momentum. All right. Well, good luck trying to sum up this episode in three words, but we're <laughs> going to try. So, Dan, you're up first. Yeah, I'm going to do a last-minute audible on mine because I think came up with a better way to frame it, but I'm going to call it Richmond's SpaceX, which is one word. Zava, because there's a rocket ship. It's propelling them up the Premier League table, contrary to all the pundits' beliefs. And you know what? Anytime you can prove a pundit wrong, it feels pretty good. Yeah. Dan's always living in the stars, Brandon. You, you, you it's know true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he he's, he's not... Uh, on on this world with us uh, i went with new top dog uh i there's a lot of um shifts in the locker room and around the club um i'm not really sure how top he is but he just might be all the way at the top of the club so we'll figure out how that shakes out nick what about you uh i, I went kind of playful on this one because my favorite scene of the whole episode was uh beard explaining the Oh, and diarrhea. Um, I went with the winning runs. Uh, this team on a winning run, contrary to what everyone thought. And that's, you know, a diarrhea pun. So there you go. That's that's the sort of highbrow humor you get from me. Love it. Uh, good friend of the pod, Taylor Ball, tweeting us <laughs> afterwards. He said, me after this stunning episode, especially the ending, it's goofy floating in the pool. Just <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think you embrace how a lot of us felt, Taylor. We uh, we appreciate that. Um, look, usually we do on the pitch, then off the pitch. Ain't going to happen in this one. This one was all over the place. And so we're actually just going to chronological this one and uh, TBD how the rest of the season goes. But it just shows you our commitment to the pod that we are willing to change if that is what's best for you out there, the listeners. So uh, we start at the beginning. We actually open the episode by learning that our Welsh Lambo crashing hero, Colin, is a member of the LGBTQ community, but that he's closeted from the team. This is very relevant to the world we live in right now. Uh, there was a lot of fan theory before season three aired that this could be the case. And well, we immediately start uh, with confirmation him at his partner's house before training. And uh, we get to see this person uh, show up again later in the episode. Um, and as he's leaving the house, he repeats his mantra. I'm a strong and capable man. And uh, I think it just provides depth to why he says that. And maybe it's not just that He's pushed around. He's maybe a light frame in the locker room, Nick. It's more mental maybe than physical. Yeah, and, and you know, I think this was 
you know, it's obviously there are so many storylines happening in this season so far. There are so many different angles that you could look at this show through. This is just another one. And, you know, Colin's been, you know, one of our, you know, I would say like B characters throughout the series. Like he's had some really great moments. He obviously got into it with Nate, you know, and there's you know, the the um, Dr. Sharon stuff last year was really good for him. But this was like, I think by far the most on screen time that he's had in an episode, Dan. And, and I think shows you that they're, you know, along with Sam, along with Isaac, they're starting to expand the aperture for, you know, looking at the series a little bit differently, not just through Ted and Roy and Rebecca. And I think that's that's pretty fun uh, for, for all these characters to kind of get their own time and, and glory on the screen. It's interesting, particularly in the context of understanding that there's maybe a concern or a thought that this might be the final season or if not the final season, maybe it's a transformative season where we see new players have to step up because people start to rotate out of this show into maybe other shows or other productions. You know, we know some individuals in this universe are going to be Marvel characters. And so there's a whole lot going on. So you feel maybe that's part of the reason that, you know, we're trying to give uh, more opportunity. But I think this, uh, as we, we see it, this does bookend the episode. And so I think there's more we'll talk about uh, later when it comes to Colin and how the team may or may react when they do or don't find out. Well, it's a hard pivot because uh, when you go to the stadium, it is the big unveiling of Zava. Uh, This is very typical. If you sign a big player, you trot them out in front of the stadium to a lot of journalists and media and much exposure as you can get. Oh, yeah. Because, again, you spent a ton of money bringing Zava in. You got to start to cash in right away. Um, But the coaching staff is huddled up trying to figure out how they're going to line up with this Mercurial Striker. You know, before Roy had him in a 4-4-2 with uh, Danny Rojas and uh, Jamie Tart up top. But now, what do you do with this uh, big... He, you got a new son in the team. It's Zava. Everything has to go around him, and they don't know how to line up. Uh, playing around with the formation between Jamie and Danny having to move. It, it's a good back and forth. Roy, mm, who's it going to be? Beard. Well, I think it's got to be Colin. Ted, ouch. Roy, mm, Colin's a chameleon. He can change depending on a situation. Beard says, bigger issues. You put Zava up front. Either Jamie or Danny's going to have to drop back to midfield. Ted, so who do you think will take the news better, Danny or Jamie? <laughs> Coach Beard, Ted, Roy, and all said Danny, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and this was complimented because the show is such a part of real life now. They actually put a billboard in Richmond. This was a train stop in which we got off to go uh, to the pub in Richmond, where it's a picture of Zava doing his like uh, open uh, stance, kind of the uh, are you not entertained stance. And it says, congrats, Richmond. on there. <laughs> It's just absolutely fantastic how much they do with the marketing on this show. It's it's just so good. Yeah, it's it's really, really great. Uh, and again, uh, normally Richmond would welcome Zava, but the the We've inverted everything because Zava welcomes Richmond. Uh, Let's see. What else do we have here? A little bit of theater chatter about the always excellent Julie Andrews. And again, the the movie space here, Dan. um, Roy's in. He's playing ball. He loves to see it. It's funny to see this exchange go back and forth. Um, And especially over Julie Andrews of all people. You know, it's important that they get an opportunity to go through uh, favorite films, as it were, and try to pick out the uh, <laughs> the instance 
<laughs> that has uh, endeared them to them the most, which was, I don't know, that I think that was maybe one of the funniest, like, random moments in the episode, Nick, where you just got everybody's uh, favorite role, which uh, it wasn't just like a, hey, we're just going to talk about Julie Andrews for a moment. We're actually going to do a random round robin of favorite movies, too. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of when they did the Barbara Walters thing in season two, and she responded back in real life to, to the Ted Lasso account. Like, you could see that happening here but you know ted says sorry roy i know you don't like all this musical theater talk this early in the morning as if that's what they do every day and and roy gets upset about it and he says no i'll allow it i used to fancy julie andrews well i still do to be fair the voice the eyes the way you know she'd tell you off if you've been bad and everyone just kind of does the collective like "Mm, yeah it's it's really really good and i think it kind of brings a you know, a lexicon in that you wouldn't have expected in a sports show with as much swearing as we have here. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Trent's yeah. involved as well. So, I mean, is he slowly working himself into the fabric? Uh, he yeah. definitely, him and Roy shared a commonality, uh, on that one, which is fun. Um, well, anyways, as the coaches finish planning, the team is in a state of shock. Zava is actually here, like physically here in, in the building. They make jokes about his charisma with a bit of sexual innuendo included as well. And there's one notable detractor, Jamie. Zava has taken over his locker, to be fair, a few lockers, and he's not a happy camper about it. Uh, Sam kicks it off saying, that's true. Some men have a charisma that transcends orientation. Smacks his lips. Uh, Paul Newman, Idris Elba, Norm MacDonald. <laughs> I love that one. It's everybody. That was so good. <laughs> everybody murmurs. Jan Ma says, Zava is definitely one of those charisma unicorns. Um, and look, Nick, they've gone all out. They're doing everything they possibly can for Zava. Again, legendary striker. Um, but we have an issue. They literally don't know where he is. He calls his own shots. Yeah, so they they stage this in the stadium, which again, is, as we mentioned earlier, is a pretty common thing to do. Get a, a bunch of people in the stadium buying merch and, and get to see him like do some keepy-uppies and stuff like that. He usually would say a word or two. Uh, but, you know, again, he's on his own time, as we'll figure out in a bit. And, you know, uh, world-class problem solver, which I'm stealing from season one, uh, Higgins, definitely on the case. Uh, so he says, so I just talked to legal about Zava's contract and an e-signature is 100% binding tiny wrinkle though. Uh, instead of signing his name, he signed your welcome, uh, which is, you know, kind of what he said earlier. And then, uh, they basically look, uh, through this entire thing and Ted says, Hey, look, superstars play by their own rules. Back in 98, I waited over three hours for public enemy to take this stage at a joint called the cubby bear. When a man with a giant clock around his neck is that late, it ain't about time. It's about making a statement. Again, transcending into real life, Flavor Flav on Twitter comes back at him and says, Hey, Ted Lasso, it ain't about time. It's about being timeless. One time in 2023, I had to wait a whole year and a half for one of my favorite TV shows to come back. That is unbelievable. First of all, well-crafted tweet. Uh, second of all, Flavor Flav actually did like my response to this tweet, so I felt pretty good about that. You that think was, that, that maybe nice. a Lasso team sent him some copy to review? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I, I think, again, it's such like an absolutely fantastic little bit of interchange that you get, and it makes the show seem so real to yeah. people. Well, without a bit, it's they're adding depth where a lot of people haven't. You know, sometimes... You know, when the shows can engage with the audiences where they are, too, off the screen, off the streaming platforms, 
Um, that's what makes it so much more enjoyable. And uh, it was a, a well-played uh, positioning of that, which I love it. And again, the story was great as, as well. Um, unfortunately, though, Rebecca is furious. And I'd say understandably so, right? She is trying to milk this Zava signing for everything it is. And he has mucked it up for her. So she gets the brain trust together in the office. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, after sending uh, uh, Leslie in front to cancel it on his own, uh, he'll figure <laughs> it out. Uh, he has some very funny one-liners in there too, which again, he's just driving a lot of uh, funny moments in this season, and I'm appreciating it. Uh, Keely makes the comparison between Zava and a great actor, and boy, do they get that right away. How do we even do this? Rebecca, I can't believe this is happening. Why does anyone put up with this lunatic? Keely, because as humans, we adapt to accommodate geniuses. Who was the yep. greatest actor alive or was before he retired? Rebecca, Daniel Day-Lewis, Ted, Tony Curtis. Oh, you said alive? Jackie Chan. Wait, you said retired? Daniel Day-Lewis. Keely, exactly. When he gets in character, he stays in character and everyone else adapts to him. And apparently he even texted his wife in character, Dan. Boom. Oh, uh, this episode is so riddled with actor and Hollywood calls, which is quite hilarious. Daniel Lewis is, in fact, uh, before he retired, would have been the uh, in the the best. That's the best option. That's absolutely the best option for best living actor um, in the field. Uh, I think there's definitely a few more that you could talk about here, but yeah, I I love the way that they tie him Zava to an actor because that's kind of similar to the way that I would say Zlatan is is that he's almost a bigger figure than in outside of sport than he is in the game and I think Nick that's probably that's probably where this line of kind of commentary comes from because again we've talked about this Zava is a stand-in for a real-life human called Zlatan maybe up to the 11th degree uh, or maybe not because it's pretty close yeah, it's it's a it's a it's an incredible replica, and I think uh, Max Oshinsky, who plays this role, has just embodied everything about Zlatan Ibrahimovic that that you can do, and it's it's just this like level above. It's I, I put this in the in the kind of the main theme later on, but it's like everyone's on the ground and he's operating. 10 feet off the ground at all times. I don't think he has any sense of reality or how his actions impact anyone around him. I think he's just uh living man, L I V I N, you know, and it's, it's, it's uh, kind of an interesting dynamic to have to accommodate into a team that has become so close, right? They've, they've all kind of adopted the lasso way as their uh, kind of uh, method for going forward and their method for being a team. And so I'm very uh, curious to see how this all plays out. So uh, that all happened on the journey to the office. Uh, get to the office and guess who's in the boss's seat? That's right, Zava, exactly where uh, you might expect him to be, right? Top dog, reference comes back, and uh, the weirdness continues. But I think this is where we really get to see kind of what you're talking about, Nick, with this guy and just how he views the world, how he interacts with people. But he does have a way of like making you feel like at that moment you are the most important person like in the world and he crushed it. So, so, so funny to just watch this go down, uh, especially with him and Higgins uh, head to head. And he whispers because he is introduces director of football operations, right? He knows that that role in the club, and he goes, you are the glue. 
And you can just see Higgins' whole life is just like he's in the universe flashing before me. And he's like, I have a role. I'm important. Well, yeah, I mean, because he is kind of like the comic relief in a lot of these episodes, right? Like, you don't get to see Higgins feel empowered very often. And like this was kind of a cool moment for him. I also loved when he talked to Ted and, and met met him for the first time. He said, My leader, I am an empty vessel filled with gold. <laughs> he says, I am your rock, mold me. It is the writing in the show is so goddamn good. And I think that is essentially what he is saying is like he he knows he's the shit. Uh, and he's kind of placating to everyone around him to make them feel important. Uh, it's important, right? You know, he's the new individual, but he is ascending to the role of figurehead. And I think that's going to cause some maybe some tension down the line because, you know, you've seen this before. There's this kind of whole thought in a lot of European football or maybe even, uh, you know, more U.S., like when you have like a quarterback on a team and they kind of supersede what the who the coach is, who the GM is. Nobody cares about that. They care about who the quarterback is. So in this case, in, in European football or soccer, it's who's your star striker, who's your attacker. And if they are the best player, sometimes the manager is interchangeable. Sometimes everything else is interchangeable because they are the one that fans usually are coming to see, usually one on the back of their jersey. Uh, there's not many people, Brandon, requesting uh, Lasso on the back of their kit. No, no, that is not true. Um, again, roles, way things play. Um, <laughs> he gets to the locker room, guys. Remember, these are well-paid Premier League players, right? It's like... How many guys can walk into an NBA locker room and just own it? Yeah, it's it's LeBron, it's Steph. I mean, it's it's less than ten people in the league. KD probably like it's yeah to have it's everyone go like that's the new alpha. Like they're it's a very smallest people. It's so funny. So he walks through everybody mesmerized, and again, Zava playing chess, and we're all watching checkers. He goes, which of you's the kit man? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. And Will goes, that's, he can't even get it out. He, like, why me? He was hidden behind four people. He goes, that's, that's me. He goes, I too worked as a ball boy for the club when I was just 11 years old. Will, I'm 25. <laughs> like, immediately, I'm just like, because he looks young, right? And you're like, all right, here we go. He goes, your passion is why I play. And to me, to me, there's no you. There's only we, us, and the we in us. And he brings it all together. But, like, think of, again, Jamie's upset. He picked on Will. Zava immediately comes in and centers Will in front of the team. Again, the writing and the layers that they go into this is just is just really impressive. Uh, but I thought this scene was, was really good. I, I, there's a lot of relatable moments. He stands right in front of Ted twice. Right? So Ted twice has to like kind of go out from under the shadow, which is great. New and when he guy. asks who the, the, the kit man is, he looks over at Jamie and Jamie's like, what the fuck, man? And then Roy looks over and he's just dying. It's so good. Man, this episode was was really oh. sneaky funny. Not only that, but he gets an entire locker corner. So it's not just one locker. The recliner. Yeah, he gets the recliner. He gets this whole little section. and Meditation so space. That would definitely 
that doesn't necessarily happen even for the biggest professionals in most sports. So you can see clearly that his rider, his contract, the extras that are required, uh, maybe it's the club going above and beyond, but maybe it's just what he's requesting. Well, again, all of a sudden he walks into the coach's office because why not walk into an office? He leaves everyone behind him, sees the tactics board, the coaches scurrying after him, and uh, he sets the lineup. He decides what the formation will be, uh, and that's exactly what they do. It is a 4-5-1 formation, hence the title, and the son of their universe is at the top of the board. Well, it's it's really a 10-1 formation, um, the way he clumps it, and it's funny because it's you know it's he's a great contradiction. Right. He just said, there's no me, there's no you, there's only we and the us and the we and us. And then he goes and basically puts himself above everybody else on the tactics board. And, you know, it's it's probably one of the more challenging aspects of being a coach, I would imagine, is to take someone with that sort of confidence and bravado and make them a part of the greater good. Uh, we saw Ted do that with Jamie, or at least try to do that with Jamie in season one. And this, again, this is an upset the apple cart type of moment, Dan. You you have a guy who is clearly a superior talent, is clearly going to be the best player on the team. But that's not what's made Richmond strong recently. And so it's going to be fascinating to me to see how they intertwine. Yeah, and even the most absorb player most likely would not push everybody back behind the midway line close to the goal right so like the board that they're using is to simulate the football pitch just in case you're not aware of like what that representation is uh usually your forward most player or the top player on the board is your attacker and usually he would want at least someone around to absorb some pressure you'd want yeah even if they're 10 15 20 yards back uh basically in front of goal uh means that you would be taking on uh most likely 10 players by yourself and uh that that as much confidence as you have you do want some occasional support, some people to take some knocks for you. Exactly. And uh, we'll get a little bit of an idea on maybe why he wrote it up that way, Dan, in a little bit of the episode. But we are going to take a first side break. When we're back, we're going into a hard pivot. Rebecca is in a new place we've never seen before. So think it's sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, so we hit reset, right? Failed event with Zava. Rebecca's got to move on, right? She even said, I got an appointment. I got an appointment. She's a little edgy about it. Didn't really want to talk about it. She's like, no, Keely, I'll tell you later. She wants her mom's psychic. Tish, she did it. She actually, uh, after all that uh, kind of dissent and back and forth, decided to do it. And it was awkward. But Tish got a vision, Nick. And it was uh, one that... I mean, it was hard for Rebecca to hear, understandably. It was, it was, um, I didn't think that they, again, the writers pull no punches. This season three is an absolute slugfest for us as viewers. Yeah. They went right for the kill shot. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly awkward exchange, right? I mean, Rebecca's clearly there to check a box so that her mom gets off of her case. And Tish has a whole different level of intention, right? Uh, she's a psychic or a futurist, whatever you want to call her. And she gives some proclamations that, you know, will end up sticking around in Rebecca's head for a little bit. She sees a green matchbook, a shite in knighting armor, uh, thunder and lightning, and you're upside down and you're drenched, but you're safe. 
and then, you know, like the the kill shot here is you will have a family. You're going to be a mother, which is something that we know is deeply rooted Dan in her, I think, psyche and something that she has huge regrets over. Um, and she she comes back and says, I thought you were completely harmless because my mom could afford you, but you're actually dangerous and you're fucking cruel. And again, it's like give her the Emmy now for for performance here. But it's it's absolutely fantastic. It harkens back to when Rupert let her know in the previous season that uh, new Rebecca was going to have a child with him and he was going to be a father. And so we've seen this beat happen a couple of times. And, uh, you know, I think as uh, American Outlaws White Castle guy, AJ uh, asked the question, did they foreshadow uh, Ted Rebecca Endgame? Uh, I don't know if that's the case, but I definitely think that they are absolutely giving us some type of thought around what could happen. I mean, upside down underwater could be like jumping into a pool, like you, know, like you could be underwater and be safe in a pool um, versus like if you're drenched in the ocean. So like there's definitely a lot of thoughts about like what that symbolism could mean as we go throughout the season. So I think there's going to be just little breadcrumbs or biscuit crumbs uh, throughout the rest Ooh. of the season as we look at where her journey goes. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think... Again, Hannah Waddingham is an amazing actor. Uh, you felt, you felt for Rebecca. And I think we all kind of were like sat back or like felt like we got punched in the gut too during this scene. I mean, really, really did. P- people are making the, the connection between Ted White Knighting and the darts scene in season one to what was said here. That's, I think, why so many people have kind of caught on. Like, is he the White Knight? Is he, you know, something to to kind of make that comparison to, I don't know if they would be that direct, you know, they, they like to lead us on a long, strange trip, uh, in this show. So yeah, I don't know yet, but you know, I, I think people are reading into that bit a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? Right. Let's spiral. Let's see where this it's goes. Fun. <laughs> uh, so back at the training ground, Keely's prepping Sam, Danny, Isaac, and Colin to be able to take interviews about Zava. So media training, which we know a lot about. Uh, When Roy comes in and there's an instant clash between him and Shandy. I love this uh, back and forth. To be fair, Dan, Shandy's putting herself in the episode, the fact that we're only kind of talking about her now. Uh, You know, her and Rebecca at the unveiling ceremony didn't happen in the office. Um, And now we get this one with her and Roy. And it was easily the best one that we've had so far. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of, you know, Roy walks in there and, and, you know, they're talking about him doing press and he's, you know, I think being really kind to Keely and saying like, Hey, if you need me to do something, I'll do it. And like, not, you know, it's awkward. Obviously everyone in the room knows what's going on. Then Shandy being, you know, quote unquote, a friend says, yeah, I'll interview you. Why'd you dump my friend? And everyone in the room, you just hear the gasp, right? Like Isaac and the boys love this stuff because they don't get to take shots at Roy and to have her walk in and take shots. They're like, (laughs) let's go. Yeah, let's go. He looks at them immediately. They shut up because that's kind of typical relationship. And then Roy comes back with just a, a dynamic line. You're fun. Looks at Keely. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> and then they kind of go back to back. And this is a, a big theme throughout the episode, Dan, where it's like, you know, Keely saying, this is Shandy. We work together. She's an old friend of mine. And then everyone goes, oh, I see. Like, clearly kind of making a point that, like, this is not perhaps the pure professional that should be there, maybe. 
Well, we're seeing someone who is behind her in terms of the journey that she's been on, the journey yeah. to get out of being just perceived to be like in uh, the the wives and girlfriend category of the, the football world where uh, your only like source of recognition is the fact that like you are connected to and, you know, Shandy talked about this in the prior episode, like their whole friend group was like either dating or married a footballer. Like that was the majority of like what they had done and like no one of them really had like definition outside of that. And so we're seeing Shandy and you know, whether or not uh, she does uh, kind of have a similar evolutionary journey in terms of her character or whether she becomes a foil because maybe she is potentially um, challenging the uh, you know Keeley's kind of uh, structure or overstepping maybe uh maybe you know uh eating hair <laughs> um look there, there's a whole lot uh that, that might go on between these two during the uh the remainder of the season hmm all right little misdirection there dan all mm. right we're back to the office ted and beard are chatting i'm sorry coach's office uh when jamie enters with a lot on his mind he thinks he doesn't seem to think that the team needed zava it's too late, Jamie. Contract's been signed. Checks have been cut. Already here. So uh, it all happened really quick, to be fair. So, like, normally probably managers get temp check from the current players to say, hey, are you interested in this? But as Chelsea fans, our previous owner was known to just be like, we are signing that player, get it done, no questions. Everyone else figure it out, deal with it. And this is what happened. The boss, Rebecca, said, we're getting that player mainly despite my ex-husband, but also because he's good, you guys deal with it and figure it out. And he's just not really having it. Yeah, he said, and, and I think this shows his evolved character. This is Jamie where he's spelling his name with a capital J for the first time, Nick. Yeah, it's really <laughs> he's nice. He's growing up. Um, <laughs> there was an article published this week that said that his his character arc is easily the most interesting of season three. And it's hard to disagree with that because he's made such a 180 since we first met him, right? He says, yeah, I know we're all excited that Zava's here. I get that. But I, I know a lot of players like him. They're just self-absorbed glory hunters who only care about themselves. Beard then takes the absolute piss out of Jamie saying, uh, Jamie, don't you think that's a little bit ironic coming from you? Says uh, very like flat or straight face. I don't know. The point is, we don't need this guy. We got a good thing going here and he's already fucking it up. And then at the end, he turns to Beard Dan and corrects him on his grammar and or yeah, on his usage of ironic, I, I should say. And I I honestly think this might be my favorite scene of the entire episode. Like this is so damn good. Well, and he corrects him, Dan, is the writer and he's gonna die. He goes, I weren't being ironic, I was being hypocritical. That's it. <laughs> it's uh look, we all enjoy a good critique that is also a opportunity to correct one's usage of grammar or uh, types of phrases so look uh, Jamie Busting is a stylish player on the pitch and clearly knows how to stylize an argument with the usage of grammar and phrases he puts into it so no I like this part it's really good Beard Ted took a little bit of joy out of Beard getting corrected here as well Oh, didn't he oh, that yeah. was kind of fun yeah <laughs> he gave him the the visual zing the eye contact like 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 was it was that right all right well it's football time uh off to nelson road we go to see richmond because oh, it is match day and then this episode is flying we're all over the place timelines are blurry uh you know is this one day is this over multiple days who knows 
but we do know a game of football or soccer is there to be played. Uh, the pre-match pep talk is a little bit different. A uh, bit off the rails is the new game plan with Zava uh, is very uh, specific. So they're playing the 4-5-1, which is more of a 4-5-1 versus what he wrote on the board. Uh, and every part of the game plan is to go through Zava. Penalties, free kicks, corners, find Zava. Everything is Zava. Uh, and Isaac looks at Colin with concern since it ended up being Colin who was dropped. Um, and again, a bit of a good moment, Dan, from the captain. Uh, yeah, we definitely get the fact of Isaac asking, you know, making sure checking in with Colin who gets dropped because that's the individual like, look, this has become an ultra attacking lineup. For, for a team that in previous seasons was struggling to score goals, was struggling to win games. You had a legitimate goal scorer on there. You leave Danny and Jamie on the pitch as well. And unfortunately, one of your midfielders is going to get dropped, and that's Colin. And uh, Isaac just checks in, and we get the line again, Nick, of I'm a strong and capable man from Colin. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think this is Isaac being a captain too, right? Like, you you have to make sure that your team is good. You have to make sure that they're still they still feel like they're a part of the team because you will need them eventually, right? You can't play the same players for all 90 minutes every single match the entire season. Colin will need to play, and so he's going to need to keep his head in the game and and continue to be a part of the team. But we know that he's a little bit more uh, you know, based on his conversations with Nate and, and some other guys, like we know he's a little bit more sensitive maybe than some of the others. And this is Isaac just being a person, understanding him as a, as a human being and taking that into effect, um, you know, because of, of those previous interactions. So uh, I was I was very happy to see this. It's it's what a good captain would do. And he, again, is El Capitan uh, moving up, doing the right things um, quietly. Jamie's character arc obvious Isaac's less so but it's good to continue to see uh these things um again they're trying to huddle up as a team Zava's doing his meditation everything is waiting to see do we interrupt him do we not it's funny Jamie tries to whistle at him doesn't work with the loud obnoxious one and who did the quiet one was it Isaac <laughs> Isaac yeah he gave the, that was so good he gave him like the little quiet one and bird it, whistle yeah perked up Zava because that's the zone he was at he doesn't want the 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 big and uh, abrasive sound um and so anyways they get through it uh and they go and again Jamie's the one frozen out kind of is is trying to be a leader doing the right thing and he's not there all right pause deep breath soccer game football game go before we get into the actual what happens, Nick, this was, again, a, a sideways adventure that none of us were ready for, none of us wanted, and I'm still annoyed that I had to go through it. <laughs> I'm still unpacking. Yeah. If you thought the Tish thing was awful earlier, I think this beats it. Um, after forgetting his cell phone at his apartment, um, he can't remember Michelle's cell phone number. He's trying to call Henry just to wish him good luck before their, before his soccer game and uh, calls the old house phone at his house in Kansas. And who picks up uh, Ted and Michelle's former marriage counselor, Dr. Jacob Bryanson. Um, and you know, he, he picks up the phone because he wants to mess with a telemarker quote unquote, and gives him a Donald Trump impression, which is, Pretty decent, actually, from an impression standpoint. For but, sure, uh, like a yeah. six out of ten. It was okay. It was uh, pretty good. You know, it's it's not you know whatever is what it is. But um, this is a, I God, nearly a knockout blow for Ted. Worst right? case scenario. 
has has to be close. I mean, we we heard uh, Henry say Jake, uh, uh, friend Jake earlier. Ted didn't put two and two together that it could be their former marriage counselor, right? And so, you know, you go through this uh, thing where Ted says, "Who is this?" Jake says, "This is Jacob Bryanson." Ted says, "Doctor Jacob." He says, "You can just call me Jake." And then Ted goes back, "Doctor Jacob," and then Michelle clearly panicked, right? Because uh, she says, "Can we chat when we both have more time?" There's a lot to catch up on. This is fucked up. Uh, this is, I can't like ethically it's fucked up. Um, but it sends Ted into a panic attack. Like set me into a panic attack. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's awful. I can't even imagine what it feels like. And he, and, and Jake realizes it. He knows too. Like it hits him hard and, and, and Michelle hard and it should. And like I said, I was absolutely shattered for Ted as if like he's my guy, like he's my buddy, and I just found out what happened. I it is like again, and then the unethical side of it, um, how it has to feel for him. Not only that, you know, he knew this was eventually going to come, but to have someone like he said, and as he kind of recounts it, you know, it's just, it's it just it makes my skin crawl, Dan. I couldn't imagine. Like I said, they went to the extreme on this one, and um, it. Dude, his head is completely twisted. No shot he paid attention to anything that happened in that game. I wouldn't have. Well, I mean, you, you you do get the moment where he can't even fixate on the fact that, and maybe this takes us into the uh, what actually happens, is you get on the pitch, you get uh, Jamie ready to, <laughs> uh, to, you know, being told by Zava, hey, I'm going to look for you, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find you on the pitch. And there's a... I knew it was going to happen because of the way they framed it and they showed the goalkeeper uh, something, Brandon, that would never happen. Like being that far off their line, that far forward at the beginning of the game, just in case somebody was ludicrous enough to try the attempt of basically taking a one kick into the goal from kickoff. Uh, that also would, I think, break the record for fastest Premier League goal ever scored. Definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Which I think is like yeah. nine seconds typically. I think to, to matriculate the ball that far, like I, I think there's actually there's someone who scored for Chelsea in three seconds, four seconds once, um, which essentially was the same type of scenario. Well, it's uh, he got to celebrate, you know, but as he's you know fists are clenched, head starting to spin, the sound starts to go out. He, he scores this wonder goal from Zava and then everybody celebrates. And that is a bit of a reprieve from his personal life. And he's pulled back into the moment. Uh, they're able to, to celebrate. Oddly enough, Roy's the one who initiates that hug of, of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, Roy is devolving as a character. <laughs> he's, he's going backwards from like hard man Roy. Um, but anyways, yeah. And so it pulled them out and I don't think we really got to touch on it the rest of the episode. So that just means it is bubbling and lingering and it will mm-hmm. be back for sure. Um, but yeah, we got a, a montage, uh, which is, uh, able for us, or I'm sorry, all the different goals that essentially, again, Zlatan, who Zava's based off of, they just started rifling them in, Nick. They're like, boom, Zava goal, boom, Zava goal. And you're sitting there like, is like, well, uh, versed soccer fans going, yep, seen that one before, seen that one before. And they just went all in on it. Why not? Yeah, so 
the, the montage is a pretty useful tool when you have to cover ground very quickly, right? We, you know, we're three episodes into the season. We've only played one game and for the team to make it to the end of the season, you're going to have to cover some ground. Right. And so I actually thought this was a pretty great um, little sequence uh, to get to, to know the team, to get to know how Zava is playing. Um, and a huge shout out to Morgan Tenska who put, I would just go follow uh, her at, at Morgan Tenska on, on Twitter. She basically put all of the Zava and Zlatan goals side by side in those, in those moments just to show you how deadly accurate this is. Um, the, the Ted Lasso team clearly does their homework. Uh, but first, first thing up, obviously, the team wins over Wolves. They go from one point, the, the point they got in their first match, to, to ninth place and four points. So they go from 17th to ninth because – how points work in the in the league, and then the scorpion kick goal takes them from ninth place on four points to seventh place on seven points, and that scorpion kick goal is a actual recreation of a of a Zlatan goal. So we're we're moving quick here, right? We're three games into the season. The team has moved from seventeenth place, right above the relegation zone, to seventh. Brandon, mm-hmm. like that's how quickly it can happen. Yeah, especially that early in the season. Um, you know, the, the, the fluctuates are huge because three points after three, four, five, six games is a lot, uh, as teams are there. So, uh, good for them. Uh, we do get to see Ted sitting in front of his computer, consuming alcohol, doesn't Mm -hmm. look well. And unfortunately he's on Dr. Jacobs Facebook, which if you wanted to define doom scrolling, that's about it. Poor guy. Um, but Jason Siegel, or uh, sorry, wow. Um, I've been watching the new Apple shrinking. TV series. Yeah. Uh, shrinking. I mean, it's also a Bill Loris production. I so, know. Uh, you know just it's involved, the same, right? almost, is it the same universe? We'll find out in the next episode. <laughs> so Jason Sudeik is taking every opportunity he can when uh, to, to plug Kansas City in his hometown. And that's exactly what we got wearing the KC uh, current shirt. Uh, calling it out. Home Hometown love. Yeah, really happy to see this. He's obviously a super smart guy and loves KC, but uh, the current went to the NWSL championship last year. Huge support in KC. So, yeah, shout out to them. And, and they reposted it, of course, as they would. So just a quick shout out for Kansas City. Yeah. So, uh, again, tough moment for Ted. And we've seen him here before. Thinking back to Everton, maybe. And someone mm-hmm. else entered the scene. So after some Zava meditation, he said he gets all the goals, yada, yada. We go through it. Um, and we just see them just, they do the animation, you know, rolling up the Premier League table. Uh, we do get a peek at Nate, though, Nick, and kind of what's going on with him and West Ham. Um, I, because that's, you know, could have been his player, should have been his player. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do as they are, you know, in and amongst it as well. Uh, it's a little cutscene there. Yeah, it's, it, you know, he's clearly keeping tabs, right? And I think the more, you know, that uh, you see Richmond win, the more concerned that he gets, you know, he, he made the statement because there's no 21st place in, in episode one and to see them creep up the table, you know, the win over palace takes them from seventh place on seven points to fifth place on 10 points. You get to see, Oh, maybe I, maybe I fucked this up a little bit. <laughs> you know, maybe I called my shot a little too soon uh, as well. And as you go through the montage, Dan, you get to see Rebecca lighting a candle and freaking out because of the matchbook prophecy. You also get to see, Roy kind of a little bit forlorn at work looking at Keeley and 
Colin texting Michael. Like, there is so much happening in between the football scenes and this montage. You're just struggling to keep up. Oh, it definitely gets us forward in time, and we get to see um, uh, Zava doing probably the worst thing in the world that you could do to a teammate who hasn't scored all season. 100%. When he's just trying to change his luck, change the narrative, change the story around him. Uh, Zava does what we would call a tap-in um, off of uh, a Jamie's goal, which would have been a really, really exceptional goal to celebrate for him. And Richmond beat Leeds, and they go into fifth place on 10 points, uh, or from fifth place to fourth place on 13 points, which at this point, they are almost not necessarily to safety, but they're about halfway to actually not being relegated in the next season at this point in the episode because teams that typically do go down, which is, again, where they were predicted to be, they were predicted to be the 21st team in the Premier League table. Um, If you get about 28 to 30 points, you most likely are not going to be going down. There's going to be someone who has had a worse season than you or at least two to three other teams who have had that. All right. So I'm just going to rip through a couple other things that happened because this episode, like the writers chose violence. We are not able (laughs) to keep up with this. Um, So, all right, everything's going well. Jeremy from the pub got a job. I miss this. Fill me in. So good. Uh, Yeah, he just walks in because the whole everything's going right. It's one of those like, you know, dance that sliding door moments like we're in the best version of the timeline right now. Richmond are winning. Everything's coming up for for everybody, and the vibes couldn't be more immaculate, even Jeremy getting a job, and and that tells you a lot. So we get a sneak peek of Sam's restaurant. He seems to be really enjoying it, and maybe his his chef's cuisine, maybe more than mm-hmm. that. Uh, Ted is also doing sessions with Dr. Sharon about Dr. Jacob, and she's her Kurt self, make a, kind of making him face the music and deal with it. Uh, the Soccer Saturday crew is back. Uh, funny, this. George Catrick is not giving Ted any credit for Coach of the Year uh, because Zava is doing it for him. Anyone can win with Zava. Uh, but they uh, definitely give Nate Shelley uh, a little bit of uh, perspective uh, with what he's doing at West Ham. They think he's Coach of the Year. So, again, building— a proper tactician. Yeah, building you know. this narrative between them, it'll be you know very obvious. But it's good to kind of get that— uh, the Jeff and the Soccer Saturday group back together. Um, anyways, uh, we've got that. They're up on the points, beating Manchester United. Big freaking deal. They're only uh, behind Man City at this point, uh, who are on first, and West Ham on second. So, again, this is a title season for Richmond, which is wild. Yeah, as, as Dan Dan says, they're, they're on 16 points at this point in the season. For them to stay up and beat everyone's expectations, they only need another 15 points probably. So another five wins to, to beat everyone's expectations, stay in the league. I mean, that it's a, it's a pretty remarkable start. And yeah, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit here, right? It's a fake team in a, in a real league that has an idol as, as their striker. But it's a it's a pretty cool moment when Roy looks over to Trent as they're celebrating in the locker room, right? And he's like, "Do you ever think this book would be a fucking fairy tale?" <laughs> and it's because, like, again, every every vibe is good. It is most comparable to the Leicester City modern day run of a team that nobody expected, correct? Winning the Premier League, 
and that 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 is essentially the the fairy tale, the long shot odds to make it and to secure this. So, like, yes, this is absolutely every headline would be about this team and about what they're doing. And Ted's a man manager, and he should get credit for manager of the year. Hundred percent. Yeah. Fuck Nate. All right, Danny, Danny Rojas. Or should we call him Danny Sava? Because he's just mimicking everything he does, right? Like, maybe he can be part of his greatness if he acts and emulates him. And he's just behind him pointing, doing the same hand gestures. It's just so, so funny. And we get a little insight that Bill Lawrence said that Brett Goldstein wrote episode four, so... So Richmond play West Ham in episode four, Hmm. as the preview would suggest. Uh, Do we think this will be a banger? I do. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of the best episodes of the entire series. <laughs> they There's a lot that they can do with it, right? And so you just wonder yes. how much that they they pull out, especially after this episode. They got a lot of other stuff <laughs> they got to talk about. You can't just focus on the game. So it's got to be a draw. It's got to be a draw. There's no other scenario that, like, you win. One of them is allowed to win. No, no, it has to be a draw. All right, we'll see. Um, but to celebrate the victory that they just had over United. Again, huge, huge win for them. Sam invites the whole team to his restaurant for a soft launch. They're not 100% ready, um, which, you know, eh, maybe. Yeah, we'll see if I can make it. It's an open bar. Boom. Everyone's in. We're all in. (laughs) All in. Uh, And at the soft launch, Sam is truly the king of his kingdom. He's whining and dining the team. The reactions, everything is amazing. The food is getting rave reviews. The team is drunk. And Danny made the fashionably late Zava friendship bracelet. It's it's adorable is what it is. But you're like, he's happy. Everyone's happy. The vibes are good. Well, well, maybe not everyone's happy. Uh, We'll we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Colin brought his pal, Michael, to hang out, and uh, he chums it up with the team and and kind of does some ribbing, um, some joking around, and then uh, Keely and Rebecca cut to them, and they're talking about Tish's reading. Um, Sassy is back, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Again, can we just not enjoy a thing? It's just like... (laughs) Um, all you can eat appetizers, but you have to eat them all. And it's just like, I can't. I am overwhelmed at this point. Um, and of course, Sassy immediately asks about Ted. She wants to know what's up. She's like, I'm going to do a lap if Ted's already gone. I'm telling you right now, it'll be tempting, attempting to scale Mount Zava. Uh, it's just so, so funny. Jane shows up and Ted. <laughs> that was Ted intense, man. With a banger of a line. He said, man, y'all's baggage just matches right up, don't it? And he's like, I need to leave. You two are good. <laughs> Too much. Oh, man. And then Dan, Roy. Roy sees Jamie on his own at a table by himself, and, well, Roy's got to be a coach now, and he, and he goes over to him. Well, he has to be a coach. He has to be a friend because he's seeing someone who is struggling and it's this whole conversation about Jamie wanting to be the best and another opportunity for Jamie to flex that he understands turns of phrases better than anyone else <laughs> seemingly out of a bunch of smart people that, uh, you know, Roy calls him a pre-Madonna and Jamie corrects him with uh, pre-Madonna to ensure... <laughs> That uh, it is the right usage, even though Roy kind of falls back up with like, yeah, but no, it's when it's before Madonna. <laughs> Nobody was good before Madonna. 
Yeah, that it was it was a funny line, but the, I think the point is now Roy is taking a keen interest. There are two moments before this that precede this moment where you know Roy goes over to Jamie at the restaurant. The first is when Jamie goes into coach's office and says, "Hey, we don't need this fucking guy." And Roy looks a little concerned. And the second is when Zava steals Jamie's goal, and Roy, as a former player, would understand that that's just something you don't do, right? Like that is a kind of like cross the line sort of scenario. And I think he recognized that, you know, that this is an opportunity to make Jamie into the best version of Jamie. Um, and so he's going to train him and they're going to get started right away. Throws the meatball against the wall, whatever the hell it was. And and I think this is an opportunity, you know, as Ben White, the Chelsea fan, not Arsenal player, says, uh, do we see do we think that there's going to be more? continued growth and maturity in the Jamie storyline, or do we think he's going to regress and I TBD, but it seems like he's trending towards maturity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, and uh, you know, Roy wants to, to get him there as well. I mean, the conversations that they're having is just night and day. Um, so uh, of course there's growth and maturity. Like it would be like the craziest, like hard, right. If, if it changed. So I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, Shani confronts Zava about posting on social media. Um, she just kind of sticks it to him. She's fearless. She doesn't really care. She's like, I got a job to do. You need to do better. Like, and it, it just kind of like goes from there, which is really interesting. Uh, Rebecca and Keely see Sam macking on his new chef hitting on her is what they appear. Seems very flirtatious. Uh, and then Roy leaves the party earlier. And, um, Keely. I mean, what a line, Nick. It's uh, it's just uh, yeah. the perspectives that we're getting from this. No, the, her and Rebecca are clearly in their own fields during this whole time, right? You know, Sam is there. Roy is there. You know, just a whole kind of mess. And she says, oh, there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. To which then they drink about four or five shots of tequila to, to numb the pain a little bit. But, you know, it's it's a it's a kicker, Dan, because... Uh, you know, the new chef at Ola, which is the restaurant, O-L-A, uh, brings uh, Sam a little gift for for the soft launch. They're green matchbooks with the name of the restaurant on them. And if you didn't see this coming, come if you on. didn't see the moment <laughs> the gift box was handed over, yeah, mm, you weren't paying attention. You were not paying attention. The, the interesting part about this one, Brandon, is you see or you hear the familiar music that insinuates a panic attack happening to Rebecca this time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Is this a person that has dealt with this before as well? Like this strong, enabled character who is, you know, we only see with the, you know, with with a, with kind of a, a charge in her. Like, is she, has she done? Is that why she knows what Ted's going through? Yeah, I mean. And that, that was kind of interesting. We've seen we've seen some cracks with her, right? Like, she's sleeping with younger men just to kind of prop up her confidence. Um, you know, obviously the Rupert stuff she's had to had to deal with. You know, you think about the the nightclub, um, you know, when she was in Everton. Or, I'm sorry, the, the Everton weekend where it was like the room where her and Rupert went. I mean, we've definitely seen some of these things. You think back to like the the um, the charity stuff. So, you know, again, I think that they're just they're planting seeds along the way to say, like, if you don't work on these things, it's going to bubble up into a place that like you don't want it to get. And it's going to be really extreme. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, they're probably building into that. Uh, and then lastly, an absolute mic drop moment. 
Uh, Trent Krim leaves the party. He spots Colin and Michael kissing in an alley. Wonder what he'll do next because he's carrying his notebook, as he always does, and he pauses. He thinks about what he should or shouldn't do and then carries on. So obviously this will come back, and everybody knows is the music playing as the um, as the scene wraps. Um, you know, like Colin would know better, especially in a moment where his teammates are around. So you just wonder, does he not care? Or was he really kind of that naive in that situation? Either way, we're going to find out because it's not like they're going to introduce us and then like let it sleep the rest of the season. We know, Dan, because of Ted's panic attack situation that Trent will go to Colin at some point, right? Like it's, it's a part of his process and he'll ask for a comment for sure. And then I think he will figure out if it will make the final cut of his story or not. It's going to be interesting. I think I would point to the fact that Ted Lasso, the series, has covered very sensitive issues, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly starting, I would say, more so in season two. And now we're seeing this in season three. Uh, You know, coming out and being out in sport is uh, a very sensitive topic. And I would assume, based upon the way that we've seen them handle uh, Ted's kind of uh, panic attacks and and depression, um, Rebecca's insecurities as well, I would imagine that they would have the same deference and careful nature and thought behind how they handle this kind of conversation and how they potentially use it as another platform for further change, for further ability to uh, kind of showcase allyship and, you know, build a a pathway to where maybe in this world, hopefully more so than uh, in our current world, at least maybe in the world of Ted Lasso, that it could be uh, more accepted and appreciated. Uh, And obviously Ted has built a, a team and a training room where, uh, uh, that might not be as big of a concern as it has been uh, in other sports today. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up what happened in the episode, but we still have plenty more to come. So we're going to take our last ad break when we're back. The main theme and a little uh, Crown and Anchor pub trivia. We'll be right back. All right. So the episode had an overwhelming amount of action, hence why we are pretty much at an hour already. Uh, It felt like every character was an F1 car on a wet track about to lose control. Uh, That is, except for Zava, who's comfortable in the eye of the hurricane, absolutely zenned out. He doesn't live in reality, but seemingly above it. And so this allows him to only focus on the things that matter. For the rest of the mere mortals on the ground, there's a continued soul searching at the beginning of the season. You know, new cracks have emerged. Ted, Rebecca, Jamie, probably even more than that. The list goes on. I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, like, my, my main theme here was mending broken things. Like, I, I don't think that was an unintentional part of the Tish experience that we that we got earlier. Um, where she, you know, shows this Japanese bowl that's been mended with gold. And and I think that is the maybe the larger metaphor here, Dan, is do we think that those cracks will be mended with gold or do we think these people are irreparably broken? You know? Yeah. I mean, you have that. You have is Zava the gold? You know, is Zava's yeah, ability to be there that. the gold that mends the Richmond situation that mends their footballing situation is the friendship or bonds. What mends the relationship here? But Are you the, saying there's the, a lot the of friends you make along the way, Dan, is that the goal? <laughs> it could be very well. Could be La- last question for the group though, uh, because I've been thinking about this given Michelle's antics and the conversation we had about 
that storyline. Does she now rival Rupert for Big Bad in this? Like, I, I think whether intentional or not, it's a it's kind of a sliding doors moment for Ted and like how he perceives the world around him. And I don't know, like Rupert's intentionally cruel. I don't know if Michelle's intentionally cruel, but the result is kind of the same, right? She's sloppy. She is not taking like care or proper steps with her actions. She, I would say is, is um, creating a lot of, uh, damage along the way, right? And well, again, to your point, whether she's aware of it or not, the collateral damage is building up greatly. Who knows what their son is aware of or thinking in these situations? So I think, Dan, that's where I am. I'm like, she's definitely causing damage, whether or not it's intentional or not, probably not. But like, she's a bit reckless with some of the things she's doing and that she's letting herself get in these situations. I mean, this is all straightforward. You got to have the conversation. Like, it's clearly at an advanced stage. I would say it might be different if it was someone that Ted didn't know <laughs> that like, hey, you know what? Like I've, I've moved on. We've signed divorce papers. I mean, I think once you're divorced, there's like a, probably I would imagine a whole lot of things that you don't have to talk about with someone else. But uh, obviously they still have Henry. They have a, a kid together and there's probably conversations that should be occurring um, to keep both parents informed about what's going on. But uh, I, I don't know. Um I still think Rupert and Nate are probably one and two as uh, villains right now, but I feel like Michelle is at least in the uh, she's 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 vying for a spot on the podium at the moment. Yes, I agree. I think there are a couple of sneaky moments in season two that would pay that off as well. And yeah, interesting to see where it evolves. But I when I watched that, I was kind of floored uh, when I watched it on Tuesday night, and I was like, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's tough. All right, Crown and Anchor Pub Trivia Time. Weird questions and observations from Nick Verlaney himself. Sir, what do you have to serve up? A lot of weird ones in this one, as, as you might have anticipated. Question one, probably the most important of the whole bunch. Why does Tish not have any Kahlua to make white Russians? I mean, what kind of a Great person question. Great would question. do that? Unbelievable. Uh, second Again, if you blinked, you missed it. What does Zava's T-shirt say when he's at Ola, which is Sam's restaurant? It may be obvious or it may not be. You, you decide. Question three. Uh, what did Danny make love to for the first time, as we learned in the opening sequence? That was, this had to be clarified, so there's no excuses for getting it wrong. <laughs> no, really, really not. Uh, number four, this will be a bit challenging, uh, and we'll put this one in the Spotify uh, kind of questionnaire as well. What is the Japanese art of mending broken things with gold called? It's a very specific name. And then a, number five, uh, a much easier one for you. Who is the most important person on the team, according to Zava, who calls us out very specifically? All right. Well, again, at Pod Underdogs, let us know if you know any of them. We'd love to see your answers. Uh, but winner, winner, football dinner, a.k.a. who won the episode. And normally we would get to put what we think. Uh, but when Zava enters the group chat, he told us. So he kind of named it himself. He won. Yeah, pretty clearly. I mean, you don't you don't score all those goals or have that much impact on an episode and not and not win the episode. Dan, it was, uh, I think, a pretty clean sweep from everyone here. Right. Uh, I think actually we read it incorrectly. I believe it's winner, winner, Zava dinner now mm, because you're right. uh, 
you know, it's all about him. No, oh. he, he is him. Yeah. So he is. Him. Uh, no one has had as big of an impact uh, on and off the field in their debut episode, but that's what we were kind of expecting, and he delivered. Uh, all right, look. Go back, watch it again, then watch it again, and you might understand what happened in this episode. Uh, the writers absolutely took us to task uh, filling that one with so much. We struggled a lot on how to set this one up, but hope you enjoyed it. We tried to get through as much as we can. We probably left plenty on the cutting room floor, but uh, that's where you have to come in and supplement because uh, we are toasted. Um, but we'll be back. Don't worry. Episode four, right? We're going to come back. Uh, so before that, make sure you rate and review us five stars on Apple podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate that. Follow us at pod underdogs, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, that's where we'll be keeping the discussion going because we only get an episode once every week. That is not enough. Engage with us. A lot goes on throughout the week. So anyways, until next time, we'll see you after episode four. <laughs>